Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Tonight, a new group of students begins medical school at Washington University. And these aren't future physicians. They are instead members of the general public who've enrolled in an eight-week course from a desire to learn more about medicine, advances in treatment, and general health. WashU's mini medical school is now in its 20th year. It's so in demand that it's grown to include three different series every year. Each is capped at 110 students, and each series can consistently sells out. Joining me in studio to talk about this long-running, wildly popular course is Dr. Cynthia Wickelman, an associate professor of emergency medicine at Washington University. She's also the director of the Mini Medical School. Dr. Wickelman, welcome to the program. Hello. We're also joined by Dr. Alexandra Gutierrez. She's an associate professor of medicine at Washington University with a specialization in gastroenterology. Dr. Gutierrez, welcome. Thank you. What's an aspect of medicine that you wish you could learn more about? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Dr. Wickelman, you pushed for Washington University to start this mini medical school 20 years ago. Why did you do that? Well, actually, it started in 1999 um, in conjunction with Dr. Bill Peck, who was fully supportive of MediMed School and actually spoke each session until he retired from his position as dean. Um, I was inspired to have a MediMed School at Washington University based on Dr. John Cohen's work at the University of Colorado. He had started a MediMed School uh, in the early 90s, and I was inspired by uh, what he was able to convey to the general public and how uh, and such a strong desire for the public to learn. So I felt WashU could offer this to the St. Louis community and that this would be a win-win situation. And so in 1999, we started up with MiniMed 1, um, and then, as you mentioned, it grew in popularity to MiniMed 2 and 3. Now, I read that back in 1999, there were like at least 80 of these in the country, and only one-fourth of those remain today. What is driving that, do you think? Yes, back in uh, its heyday, there was even a mini-med school that was put on uh, for the Congress. So it was uh, a popular venue to educate uh, folks about medicine. I will tell you they're expensive to put on, Mm -hmm. and over time, um, many institutions who have sponsored them have felt like they didn't feel it was worth their investment. Um, WashU, on the other hand, has um, been very supportive and, and has focused on educating the communities. So I've been very grateful. So who ends up attending these mini medical schools? I'm sure there's a wide gamut, but what do you? who do you see coming through that door? Yeah, just about anyone you can imagine. So we're ages 15. You have to be in high school, so um, 10th grade on to our eldest attendee has been Virginia, who was 96 years old. Whoa. Yes, and she's an absolutely lovely woman, and she would have a, a driver, so she wouldn't have to drive at night. Uh, and so the backgrounds of the um, individuals who have taken mini med students is really all across the gamut. We have uh, your individuals who are in healthcare who are interested in learning more about medicine, but we have stay-at-home moms, we have architects, we have massage therapists, we have CEOs, we have 
accountants. We have a really great gamut. And they've traveled a very long distance to attend mini-med school. Like we from have, how far away? We've had people drive from Jefferson City, from Sykeson, Missouri. We had a, Whoa. A, a lovely woman from Chicago that would take the train down. And then she would attend mini-med school, wait till the 4 a.m. train went back up to Chicago. And she was just, uh, Catherine was amazing. She would do this for the sessions of mini-med school. And I just felt so bad for her to have to sit there and wait up all night for the next train. Yeah, that's um, an amazing commitment. It, it is an amazing commitment. And to think of uh, just driving from Jefferson City or, you know, the we yeah. have an individual from Joplin. The hours in the car is, is really extensive and we're so... We're so impressed of the effort they make to attend mini. Now, Dr. Gutierrez, you've been an instructor at this mini medical school. Um, what do you think inspires people to put in that level of commitment that they'd be taking a 4 a.m. train, for example? I think some of it is the quality of what's being taught. You have experts in multiple fields. These are the top-notch um, educators and physicians taking care of patients. And someone has an opportunity to sit there for an hour and learn about a specific disease process, meet patients that have this disease who are very open and willing to share their stories. What an incredible opportunity uh, to learn. Uh, and I think that's what drives people to come back and not only to attend mini medical school once, but come back year after year uh, to, to hear uh, the different stories. So you see repeat students here. Absolutely. On one level, that seems like that would present quite a challenge. I know from my father being an educator, he loves that he can just teach the same course that he has refined. He gets to keep doing the same thing to the high school seniors every year. It sounds like you guys have to mix this up. But remember, things change. That's the beauty of medicine. Every single day, there's something new coming out with disease processes. So even if the slide deck, per se, is the same, the beauty is the lectures are different, and certainly uh, the, um, uh, the, the content changes with new medicines and new therapies on the market. So no two, le two lectures are ever going to be the same. So give us an example of a course that, that might be a class that you do one evening. Um, what do students learn and observe? Like, what happens during that class? Well, we could talk about the one that Dr. Gutierrez uh, teaches at, and she's been doing it since about 2010, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so you're a veteran. She's yes. a veteran, a veteran, <laughs> and a beloved veteran. Um, so uh, Dr. Gutierrez speaks on inflammatory bowel disease, and uh, she has a presentation for about 35 minutes, and then she uh, introduces one of her lovely patients, and they really are remarkable individuals, and they... Uh, share their stories, and then we open up to questions and answers, and then we follow with a second uh, topic, and, and this year it's on prostate cancer, and so we'll talk about prostate cancer, the, the latest uh, uh, in diagnosis and treatment, and then we have a patient. And that's the way Minimed 3 uh, is, um, is shaped, and, and that is the Thursday night course. And, and we do change up our topics uh, each year we have some of our favorites return, and then we bring in new topics for Minimed 1, 2, and 3. And so and in the, the average class time, there ends up being sort of two topics yes. in that evening. And they're there for an hour? An hour it's 7 to 9 p.m. Oh, so two hours. And then we have a lot of labs. So when we have labs, we often go longer. So You have like, labs. Tell have us, labs. what do you let? <laughs> I would not trust a person like myself in a lab environment. So how do you do this with a layman? <laughs> so with a layman, we have a suture lab and a laparoscopic lab. and This, this also sounds very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't use animal products, but we have a foam that mimics skin, and we uh, have suture 
uh, materials that we, uh, the instructors are uh, surgical residents, and we have the laparoscopic instruments, uh, which is not too far from what Dr. Katiris uses, uh, and the students will try using them in, in, a, in a, like a simulator environment or picking up little plastic items just to, to learn how to maneuver them. We also have a, a number of other labs. Uh, in Minimed 2, we have a physical therapy lab where the physical therapy faculty and their doctoral students teach uh, us about posture and balance, and we break up into small groups for that. We have a lab on physical diagnosis, and we hire standardized patients, so we learn to examine the heart, the lungs, the abdomen. Uh, We also have a chance to uh, do anatomy lab, where we have the organs uh, that are brought in from the anatomy lab, both the normal and abnormal, and you can glove up and, and have a chance to learn from that. Uh, we have a CPR certification. We have microsurgery lab where you can actually learn to surgery, to do surgery through uh, just to use the instruments through a microscope, which is uh, actually very difficult. So it just gives you an idea. Of I'm starting to get a sense of why this is so popular. <laughs> this is kind of an amazing gamut of things that you're teaching people, and it's kind of one-stop shopping. Um, Dr. Gutierrez, I see you nodding. Yeah, That's- so it's interesting. I think that it's such a great opportunity to be able to speak Um, about topics that otherwise you wouldn't be able to in the community. Who has a chance to suture when you're at Walmart? I mean, really, that's something I've never... It's an opportunity to learn something. Um, And to me, that's that's just great. Um, And the other thing to keep in mind is that these are things that otherwise you see a physician do, perhaps in an emergency room or on TV, but... it's great to actually see do, someone do it and actually learn how to do it. Maybe you won't be an expert in 15 or 20 minutes, but you'll understand the difficulty of what's being done or the utility of why we're doing certain things. Makes you a lot more knowledgeable as, as far as being a healthcare consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually got a call um, from Jim in Bridgeton. And for those of you who are listening out there, if you do have a question or, or comment for Dr. Wickelman or Dr. Gutierrez, or you just want to talk about an aspect of medicine you'd like to learn more about, you can give us a call at 314 314- 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Uh, let's go to Jim. Jim, uh, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Yes, good afternoon. Thank you for having these uh, really excellent physicians on the show. It's, it's very interesting. I hope the question I have isn't too far off topic, but I was wondering if the doctors could give any advice to people in the public as uh, a means of combating the junk science behind all the vaccine stuff that's been going on, where people aren't wanting to vaccinate their children and end up with, you know, true public health hazards from it. I have a, a, a technical background from WashU myself, and it makes me crazy when people start claiming autism and, and dangers of vaccines when it's beyond a doubt proven that they're safe and truly effective. Jim, thank you so much for that call. Um, I'd say that question is actually on topic because you're talking about how do you educate the public and and combat these misperceptions. Dr. Gutierrez? So I would tell you just with everything in medicine, um, as I sometimes joke about Dr. Google, the bottom line is that you're able to find Um, information support just about any opinion. The question is, what type of information are you receiving? I think the the bottom line is you have to find evidence-based medicine and make an appropriate decision um, based on anything related to medicine, even your health care, vaccines. I actually often recommend that patients speak to their physician directly. I genuinely think that most physicians practice evidence-based medicine and should be able to give you an answer that's appropriate in regards to vaccines. I think fighting this Dr. Google idea is a big problem because there is no 
vetting of information on the internet. There's just information out there. So I think it serves us well to try to find um, uh, websites that will give us the appropriate information and not just go to any random website. So I often recommend you look at the organization that's sponsoring a website and giving you that information. I often will recommend the Mayo Clinic has wonderful websites, but often different organizations. So the American Academy of Pediatrics actually has a great um, stance on um, vaccines and the risks associated with vaccination or the lack thereof. So I think going to the appropriate website is the other uh, uh, way to approach this. And I think that definitely helps combat uh, uh, poor information that's been received regarding vaccines. It almost becomes a question of media literacy. Um, okay, well, thank you so much for that call, Jim, and, and thank you for that answer, Dr. Gutierrez. Um, Dr. Wickelman, I found my I found myself thinking. Um, you had you explained a wide gamut of things that you're letting the students do. What ends up being the most popular thing? What do they most get excited about? Oh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I would say some of the top three would be uh, the Suture Lab is very popular, as, as are the other labs I described. And, but we also have tours. And so we have a tour of the NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, which is very popular. Uh, the patients, when they come in, so Minimed, maybe I should just kind of explain. Minimed 1, we change the topics, and we have a Suture Lab. Uh, and uh, Minimed 2, we have uh, the, the lectures and the labs and then the, and the tours. And then in Minimed 3, we bring patients in each time. So when we bring patients, the, the students love to hear from the patients. I can see how that would be an exciting part. Um, we need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Dr. Cynthia Wickelman and Dr. Alexandra Gutierrez of Washington University's Mini-Med School. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. And now back to our conversation about Mini Medical School. We've been talking to Dr. Cynthia Wickelman, who's an Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine and Director of WashU's Mini Medical School, and also Dr. Alexandra Gutierrez. She's an Associate Professor of Medicine at Washington University who specializes in gastroenterology. And we're joined now by Zanetta Richardson. She's a patient of Dr. Gutierrez who suffers from ulcerative colitis. Zanetta, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Have you attended WashU's Mini Medical School? What was your experience? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, Zanetta, for those of us who don't know about your condition, ulcerative colitis, what does that mean, basically? Basically, um, ulcerative, ulcerative colitis is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. And in my case, it is, um, I have ulcers kind of in my, um, in my colon that kind of go up and down. And it depends on, um, I guess, and I'll go to Dr. G, the, the severity of it. Sometimes it's in a lower part of my colon. Sometimes they could go, you know, up further up and, and I've all the way up at times when I'm really into a flare. And how do those flares end up affecting your life? Well, it's something that is very, I mean, it's totally disruptive of your life. You're kind of in the home or you're out and you always have to be, for lack of a better word, aware of where a restroom is. Ah, and, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> it, it is one of those diseases and that's one of those things that, you know, people a lot of times don't want to talk about. But yeah, that's something for me in my daily life for a long time before I achieved um, clinical remission, I always had to be aware of that with my surroundings. And you're a young woman. Um, is it hard? Is it surprising, I guess, when you have to explain this to people? No, I, I'm dealing with this really serious condition. 
You know, it took a while for me to be able to explain it because I couldn't wrap my head around it myself. Mm -hmm. You know, it took a while to get diagnosed. And then when I was diagnosed, going and reading, and I did do the Dr. Google thing, which you're of course. supposed to do. <laughs> um, so, you know, I freaked myself out. And then I just sought out some great information from organizations like the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. And I just started writing questions down to ask my doctor's okay, what are we going to do? What's going to be our next steps? And, you know, how does this work? And how am I going to live my life? It Everything became a new normal, basically. This is a chronic thing. So how am I going to live my life in the face of this disease? Mm-hmm. How did you end up getting involved then with presenting to the mini medical school? Well, Dr. G um, sent me a message and said, hey, do you want to come down and talk to the folks about your story? Um, I've had the disease now for going on, I think I was diagnosed in 2004 officially. I started having symptoms in 2002. And my disease journey has been kind of a roller coaster. We were in a really a severe place um, at one point. And God willing, thank God, I've bounced back from that and I'm in great shape now. So she's like, you know, come and share that story. So I was happy to, very happy to. And Dr. Gutierrez, what is it about Zanetta that made you choose her to to ask to present? Aside from Zanetta's eloquence, it's also her story. It's Mm -hmm. the story of somebody who is young who's impacted by this disease. And that, to me, makes a humongous difference. Um, I want people to understand that this disease is not something uh, that is far away. It's not somebody who's 50 miles away. It's your neighbor. Um, And I think 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't speak about it. But I think now colon cancer, colitis, um, using the bathroom regularly, I think that has become much more mainstream conversation in our own lives. And I want people to not be fearful of talking to their physicians about their problems. Is it hard to get your students past that factor of saying, ick, you know, I don't want to talk about bowel movements? So it's funny, you know, I... I probably say yes, but you make a joke out of it. As I sometimes say, if you do it in a lighthearted way, everyone's very willing to speak about it. And we'll come up at the end of the, we always ask questions at the end of each presentation. People will say, hey, you know what? I want to talk to you because I've been seeing a lot of blood. Who should I speak to about this? So it's actually really nice to be able to open up that conversation. It's great if it's about ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, but I'm happy to talk about the regular GI tract. And that is one thing that's very nice. People feel almost as if everyone in the classroom, classroom of 120, are their family, but they're willing to open up about their problems with each subspecialist. And I think that's a great, again, a great opportunity to speak to a physician one-on-one, really, in a, in a classroom. Zanetta, has it helped you to give these presentations? I know you've done this now a couple times. Um, what do you get out of it? Well, I love just spreading the message about inflammatory bowel disease and of my particular disease, ulcerative colitis, because a lot of people, they just don't know. Even still, all these years later, people don't know. You know, they may have kind of heard of Crohn's, but when I say I have ulcerative colitis, they're like, well, what is that? And then I kind of give maybe the the little short answer. So going to somewhere like mini medical school and just being able to explain the disease from a personal standpoint, Dr. G is very good about going in and explaining it from, you know, the clinical standpoint, this is what it looks like. And, you know, with the slides and everything. And then I can just go in and say, you know, this is how the disease has affected me. These are some of the, you know, instances that I've had with, you know, in the hospital, out of the hospital, some scary things, um, maybe facing colon removal surgery before a new medicine came out. Mm -hmm. And that's another great thing about being able to speak at the mini medical school over the years. When I first started speaking, the medicine that I take now that has me in clinical remission was not available then. Oh, wow. So So a true advance. Yes. 
Yes, and that's, that's so that's nice to have some happy endings to tell students. Absolutely, and it's funny, Zanetta. I remember that before this medicine had come on the market, we were, uh, as I like saying, we were going around the toilet bowl. Zanetta was close to losing her colon, unfortunately. Wow. So that's which a huge impact the new medicines on the market make is truly to offer the patients an opportunity to go into remission, so their disease is quiescent with no disease activity. So it really does make a huge impact the new uh, research that's being done on biologics and many of the new medicines coming out on the market. I'd like to go to the phone lines. We've actually got a caller um, who has taken MIDI Medical School. I was hoping to get someone just like this. David uh, calling from Florissant. Hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I took the uh, many med courses, uh, one, two, and three. Uh, it was about six or seven years ago. And uh, I highly recommend them. It was it was a very, very good learning experience. It, it, uh, very, very good at expanding any any knowledge about medicine and, and complications and all sorts of things. Um, my greatest experience with it, actually, was when I, uh, Dr. Wickelman asked me to read her bio in front of um, uh, one of the classes that she was actually speaking uh, at. Okay. And yeah, this is a little bit of a sideline, but that was the largest group of people that I had ever spoken in front of. Okay. And that actually, that actually was a, changed my life. That's amazing. Uh, it, it helped you sort of get I, over a, a fear of public speaking? or abso- Absolutely. I was frightened at the time, and I thought, well, I've got to do this because uh, this mini medical school is such a great thing, and, I th- and it, it deserves uh, uh, you know, me getting over my, my fear of speaking in public. Dr. Wickelman, you changed David's life. What, what do you think of that? Hey, David. Hello. That is so kind of you. Um, but I'm so glad that you enjoyed mini-med, and it's really nice to hear from you. Uh, my favorite class was the anatomy class. Uh, my favorite class in high school was biology, and uh, I was really excited to see those cadavers to actually uh, peer inside the human body. It was And the manuals that they use to dissect the body with the, the direction manual. Uh, it was totally fascinating. The whole, uh, the whole course is very good. I, I would highly consider taking it again if I weren't so busy. One of these days I will. Well, David, that, that's great. Thank you so much for that testimony. I'm so glad that you called in. Um, Dr. Wickerman, overall, what makes people um, sign up for this course? Do you have any sense of that? Yeah, so over the years, I hear a number of, of uh, factors why individuals take mini-med. Mostly it's to learn about medicine. They have an interest in the body. They want to know more about what symptoms they may be having or a friend might be having or how to help a friend who has a certain disease. And, and also a lot of people tell me they go home and can't wait to discuss what they learned with their family and friends or at work the next day. Hmm. Now, this course, it does cost $185. And while that might sound like a lot, that's for eight weeks. And as you say, these are two-hour sessions. Based on, um, you know, all the people involved in this, WashU has to be losing money on this. Well, we certainly don't make money on it. It is really a labor of love, I think, from all aspects. I've uh, and you said WashU also throws in dessert? Oh, yes. Is that that's have, part of the, the fee? <laughs> yes, we that's have amazing. delectable desserts and a digital syllabus and the tours and the labs are all included with that. 
Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a, well, personally, I think it's a, a good bang for your buck. Um, <laughs> but I think another aspect of why people take it is a lot of fun. I mean, people like Dr. Gutierrez make you laugh out loud. And you know how clear she's speaking about ulcerative colitis. And you can imagine the two of them, Zanetta and Dr. G, um, really make it a very educational, informative, and fun experience. I could see that this that this could be a great combination. You two up there talking about it. I, I can also see how it could get funny, but does it ever get um, scary or or too sad? So I will tell you that we have had people share. They've wanted to speak about the illnesses they have, and then some of them are are terminal. And so yes, we do have some. It's it's real life. We show graphic photos. We warn you beforehand, but uh, that's also something to be aware of. But I, it does give you a taste of what it would be like to be in medical school. And it's taught by our experts at WashU. We have the chair of psychiatry, the chair of neurosurgery that has spoken for years. And we have uh, a number of outstanding experts that are there to share with you first account um, about the diseases and the disease process. And we're almost out of time here, but I did want to let people know that Mini Med School 3, that series does still have space in it. So you can call 314-362-6585 or look at minimed.wustle.edu. Dr. Cynthia Wickelman, Dr. Alexandra Gutierrez, and Zanetta Richardson, thanks so much for being here. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.